Part three, chapter twenty five of Quo Vadis, a tale of the time of Nero. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Quo Vadis by Henrik Sienkiewicz, translated by Binion and Malevsky. Part three, chapter twenty five. After Lygia was liberated, Petronius, lest he should offend Caesar, went to the Palatine with other Augustales. He wished to hear what they were saying, and especially to find out whether Tigellinus was plotting anew to destroy Lygia. Both she and Ursus were now under the protection of the people. No one could molest them without creating a tumult. But Petronius, knowing how the powerful prefect of the Praetorians hated him, thought it likely that Tigellinus, powerless to injure him directly, would try to revenge himself upon his nephew. Nero was in high dudgeon because the show had ended in a way quite different from his wishes. At first he would not look at Petronius, but the latter, preserving a calm temper, approached him with all the freedom of the arbiter of elegance, and said, Do you know, O divine one, what has struck me? Compose a song about the virgin who, at the command of the ruler of the world, was rescued from the horns of a wild bull, and returned to her lover the greeks are impressionable and i am certain that such a song will delight them despite his vexation nero was pleased with the suggestion and for two reasons in the first place it was a good subject for a song and secondly he could glorify himself as the magnanimous ruler of the world he regarded petronius kindly and said yes mayhap thou art right but would it become me to chant my own praises thou needest not mention thyself by name in rome everybody will know who is the hero of the song and from rome the news will spread all over the world art thou sure this would meet with approbation in achaea by pollux it will cried petronius and he took his departure feeling certain that nero who loved to weave reality into his literary inventions would not spoil the theme thus the hands of tigellinus would be tied but this did not alter his plans of sending Vinitius away from Rome, as soon as Lygia's health would allow it. When he saw him the next day, he said, Take her to Sicily. As things have turned out, you need fear Caesar no longer, but Tigellinus is perfectly capable of poisoning you both, if not for his hatred for you, out of hatred to me. Vinitius smiled and replied, She was on the horns of a wild bull, and yet Christ saved her sacrifice then a hecatomb to him said petronius impatiently but do not expect him to save her a second time dost thou remember how aeolus received ulysses when he asked him a second time for favoring winds gods do not like to repeat themselves as soon as she is restored to health said vinitius i will take her to pomponia Graecina. and thou wilt do well since pomponia is lying ill I heard it from Antistius, a cousin of Aulus. In the meantime, occurrences will take place here to make people forget you, and in our day those who are forgotten are the happiest. May fortune be thy sun in winter, thy shade in summer. He left Vinitius to his happiness while he went himself to inquire of Theocles concerning the life and health of Lygia. She was out of danger exhausted as she was after the prison fever foul air and discomfort would have ended her life now she was surrounded by the tenderest care and not merely by plenty but by luxury by order of theocles she was borne daily into the gardens of the villa she would spend hours in those gardens 
vinitius would adorn her litter with anemones and irises to remind her of the hall of the auli hand clasped in hand they frequently spoke of the past as they sat under the spreading trees lygia told vinitius that christ had allowed him trials and terrors for the express purpose of changing his soul and raising it to himself and vinitius acknowledged that this was true he felt indeed that there was little in him of the former patrician who had known no law save his own will there was no bitterness in these memories however it seemed to both of them that whole years had rolled over their heads and that the terrible past lay very far behind a feeling of calmness possessed them which they had never experienced before a new and blissful life lay before them in rome caesar might rage and fill the world with terror but they felt that they were under the protection of a far mightier power they need have no further fear of caesar's rage or malice as if he had ceased to be master of their lives once about sunset they heard the roar of the lions and other wild beasts formerly these sounds would have frightened vinitius as a bad omen but now the lovers regarded each other with a smile and raised their eyes toward the glow of the sunset at times lygia still very weak and unable to walk unaided fell asleep in the quiet of the garden vinitius watched over her and regarding her sleeping face the thought would come to him that this was not the same lygia whom he had met at the home of aulus indeed the prison and the sickness it had brought had impaired somewhat her beauty when he saw her at the house of aulus and when he came to take her from miriam's house she was as beautiful as a statue but now her face was almost transparent her arms were thin her body emaciated by illness her lips pale and even her eyes seemed less blue than formerly the golden-haired eunice who brought flowers for her and costly rugs to cover her feet seemed like a cyprian deity in comparison petronius seeing that she had lost so many of her charms shrugged his shoulders and thought that this shadow from elysian fields was not worth the trouble and pain and torture which was sapping the life of vinitius but vinitius now in love with her spirit loved her all the more and when he watched her as she slept he felt as if he were watching over the whole world end of part three chapter twenty five